it's an honor to be here with y'all. Good morning. Man, you know what? I grew up in kind of the east side of Columbus and a little southeast side of Columbus. And I got to be honest with you, I didn't even know Plain City existed. So this is amazing. I mean, what a treat to be here with you. And how many of you are just so thankful for your pastor, Corey? Um, I, I just... I just, he is the tip of the spear, and I just think what God is doing in this midst is fantastic. And, um, you know, I've known the lead pastor at LifePoint, Dean, a long time. In fact, he recruited me to actually help start LifePoint before LifePoint even was on the map. And so it's incredible to see what God's done. And I, I actually kind of went as God was leading me in my ministry 17 years and pastored several large churches and had Dean Cohn speak at my church. And I came and spoke at the Lewis Center location. I've spoken actually at all locations now. And this is my final location at LifePoint. What a pleasure and honor it is to be with you. And then Corey invited me. So it's, it's, I'm really, really, really humbled by it. Um, a little bit about me beyond just kind of what I did the last 17 years. I want to show you a picture of my family. That's my family. That's my wife, Sarah. She um, is back in Lexington, Kentucky with my two girls, Addison and Emily. As you can see, I outkicked my punk coverage with my wife. Um, and my daughter, Addie, is 11. My daughter, Emily, is 9. Uh, so, you know, just be honest with you, my wife and I are both athletes. And so we were like, you know what? We want four boys done. And God gave us two girls. So it was, and so, and I, my oldest 11-year-old, Addie, she's super emotional. And she's a middle schooler. She so can be praying for me. As we walk through that road, but I'll never forget, she comes out of the womb, the doctor hands me her, and she's screaming like bloody murder, and she's got black spiky hair, and I just reached in my back pocket, gave her my credit card, and she stopped crying, <laughs> and she, she's been doing that ever since, but honestly, um, they're my first ministry, and I love my family uh, dearly, and um, I'm excited to be in week two of this series, and if you want to find Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12 in a smartphone, tablet, or Bible, I'd really encourage you to do that so that you can read along with me, you can track with me, and you can just test to see what we're all reading and looking at together. Week two, this is a series called Kingdom Values. And the big idea for this entire series is living in God's kingdom means, means what? It means giving towards things that don't matter. No, no, no. It means giving towards things that that, that do matter, that are eternal. And, and last week, define the definition of God's kingdom, right? The God's definition, and the kingdom of God, it's his, his eternal spiritual ruling authority over everything. So what does that mean? It's, it's kind of ethereal. It's hard to put your hands in. And I'm kind of a pragmatic person, so it's always been a little hard for me to kind of process through that. But really what it means is it's eternal, meaning it's now all the way through eternity, it never ends. But it doesn't just mean when you die. It means that right now in the emails and the text messages and the waking up and the going to the bed and the naps and the brunches and lunches and dinners and everything else in between, God is ruling and reigning and he's supreme and he's ultimately shepherd over all. And if he's ruling and if he's uh, um, um, over all things and he, he's in control and he has authority, then the question that you and I have to wrestle with right now, where we are, no matter if we're five or 95 years of age, we have to wrestle with the one question, what should we value? What should we value? And so in Luke 12, I love it. 
Jesus is going to help us. He's going to unpack this a little bit more. Now, a little bit about the Gospel of Luke, if you're not familiar with it. Dr. Luke is the, is the author of this incredible gospel. He actually compiles, through the Spirit's leading, all of these real-life accounts of Jesus. And all of these accounts are certifiably um, fact-checked, which is amazing. And every single one of them is precisely done with detail. Because Luke is a physician, so he's detailed. He's, he loves every precision. And, and it's unique in all of the four Gospels because of that. And it's been certified. And so you get to chapter 12, and Jesus is speaking and teaching. And he's with a group of people. And in the context there, he's teaching about the dangers of hypocrisy. Basically of like saying one thing and living another. And he's actually speaking to the pastors and the religious leaders about that. And then he's talking about this ultimate authority over all things in life. I mean, and then he talks about death. So it's like heavy stuff he's dealing with. And in the crowd, so he's in the middle of this really, really, really deep thing. In the crowd, this guy raises his hand and he goes, yes. And the guy goes, hey, yeah, me and my brother, we have this arguing about our inheritance. Will you please help us here? It's like, clue phone, like read the room, bro, right? Like that's exactly what's happening and the interesting thing is in the middle of this, Jesus kind of flips the script. And as we're going to see in a little bit, he helps them understand something. But just real quickly, the guy that raises his hand, it reminded me of a comedian, Brian Regan. He talks about the me monster. I don't know if you're familiar with this. But, you know, a guy that like interjects his hand and starts talking about himself, it's kind of like the person at the party who always like makes more than you or has done better than you or has like traveled more places than you. You know what I'm talking about? Don't point. Okay. Don't, no elbows or point. And by the way, if you don't know a one upper like this in your life, it's you. <laughs> so this is the guy. And, and all he has to think about is himself in light of the fact that he's missing the little God of the universe incarnate. And what he is, is he's preoccupied and he's blinded by the financial pressures of his life. And before it's easy to just be like, oh man, shame on that guy, right? Before we can kind of like cast blame on this guy, I got to be honest with you, I'm more like him than I want to give credit. And here's why, because I could tell you what the stock market has done over the last two months. It's not this. What is it? It's like that, right? It's down. I could tell you exactly what inflation is. I could tell you what the recession probably is or is not. And we have all of these swirling things with politics all around us. But then I started thinking about it. Could I, in my heart of hearts, say, you know what? What has God been saying to me? What has God been doing? How has he been interacting in my prayer life recently? What about you? Because financially speaking, we, we have, we're inundated. But could we spiritually be saying, boy, the God of the universe has my attention? And so maybe we could relate to this man a little bit more than we really would like. And so in verse 15, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus responds to the me monster. Look at it with me in verse 15. And he, that's Jesus, he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. If you want to underline, if you want to write one down there, this one, life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I mean, it flies directly in the face of that culture. 
because it was barns and more barns. There were no 401ks. There was no uh, bank accounts. It was all commodities. It was something you could put your hands on. It was build your barns and bigger barns. And Jesus says, no, it's not about the barns at all. It's about something completely different. Because at the time, their culture was like, hey, life does happen to be all about what your possessions are. And I'll be honest with you, thousands of years later, it could not be more accurate than today. Like he or she who dies with the most toys loses? No, wins, right? At least that's what our culture says. And so Jesus, in his amazing ways, the master teacher, he just tells a story, a parable. Look at it with me in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. Okay, I love that. And he tells this story about a rich guy and his barns. And it's like the Gordon Gecko of his day. Like greed is good if you've ever seen that movie. And, and I was reading through this account, this parable, and it reminded me of this book that I read last summer, or this last past summer. It's called Hillbilly Elegy. I don't know if you've read this or not, but somebody gave it to me. I was a little offended. I thought, what does they think I am, some hillbilly or something? And then I thought, well, I am. <laughs> I'm just a hick from Ohio. And really, it really gave me a fascinating account of like some of the people that I came from. Because in the book, this guy writes about his interaction about growing up in Appalachian country, which is like West Virginia, West Western fence, uh, uh, West Virginia, uh, Central Kentucky, where I live now, and then even into Ohio. And he talked about how the Irish kind of basically stopped in this area. In, in the rolling hills of Ohio and Kentucky and West Virginia because it reminded them of their homeland. And with them, they brought all of this context to this, this area. And there was like one name that pervaded among all others, and it was the name William. Why do you think that was? Because who's like the most famous Scottish person of all time? William Wallace, right? And so they bring this name to this area, and then Americans... Translated to Bill, basically. So let me put this two together for you, a little cocktail this morning. You have all of these rolling hills, and you have all these bills, and where do we get the term hillbillies? So he writes about all this in this book. And he also writes about how this is in a very agrarian context that we find ourselves. And so my, you know, I'm, I come from an agrarian culture. I grew up kind of out in the country. And there were lots of barns, lots of farms, etc. And I think that this guy in the parable that Jesus is telling grew up in Ohio, all right? But his barns, they're just one word there wasn't enough of. Enough. Just wasn't enough of them. It wasn't the fact that he was industrious. It wasn't the fact that he was a hard worker. It wasn't the fact that it was bad that he was an entrepreneur. What was wrong about all of this was that he wanted more to gain than to give. And his heart was motivated by greed. And the thing about greed, and, and I can say this from an honest account personally, the thing is it's, 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 it's a really bad boss. It's a really bad boss. And what we re don't realize is that we think we possess our stuff, but what happens is, is that our stuff ends up possessing us. And so Jesus in this most amazing way, he continues to tell the story. Verse 19. 
the farmer says to himself, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. You know, and they thought, right, in their culture, we do in ours, that like our security is found in stuff, in a number, in a position, in a relationship, in a status, in a title, in a house, in a car, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the Bible teaches something completely different, and that's what Jesus is trying to get at here. He's using this guy as an example. He's saying, look, 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 look don't let this be your life. And, and all throughout God's word, he teaches us this. And there's a one particular incredible account that I want you to see, and maybe you've heard this before, but it's in 1 Kings chapter 17. You can turn there if you want, or I'm just going to read it. It'll be on the screens. But there, in that context, in 1 Kings chapter 17, there's a severe drought. And in the context of this small, there's a small town called Zarephath, and there there's a woman and her son. And they're basically at the very lowest of the low socioeconomic ladder, and they're basically ready to end their life. They've been starving pretty much. There's been a drought. They're very, 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 very poor. And then they meet this guy, this prophet by the name of Elijah. He says this to the woman. Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? Now, that's a pretty big deal when you're in a drought to ask a stranger for a drink. But she agrees with the prophet. And it says, as she was going to get it, Elijah says, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. It's like, okay, dude, listen, like me, Mr. Me Monster. Okay, you're a prophet, but that's too far. This, this is all this lady has. But sometimes, friends... God asks us to make and take steps of faith, and, and, and she does. And as you can see, it's amazing. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives. Now, I want you to notice that Zarephath, it, it's a town that worshiped Baal. This woman doesn't worship God. She says, your God, as surely your God lives, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar, little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to the woman, do not be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make yourself something for yourself and for your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. Now, I want you to put yourself in this lady's shoes for a moment. You're on your deathbed. You're trying to take care of your son. This stranger comes into the picture, says, I'd like a drink, and I'd like you to make a fire and make some bread for me and give it all to me, and you're not going to have anything left. Can you imagine? She agrees to do that. Can you imagine she's like going to pick up sticks, and she's going, what am I thinking? Why am I doing this? This is crazy. My son is about to die, but this man has just so moved me in my heart. I just feel like this is the step I need to take. Can you imagine where she is in that moment? And she's got nothing else, but then what is amazing is she makes the meal, and she goes back to the jar. Is there like 18 like flower jugs? Filled up? Is there like a whole new barn full? No. There's just enough for one more day. And then there's enough for another day. And there's enough for another day. You, you see, I love this truth. And the Bible says it like this. 
It says, so there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. The jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry. And get this, he's not just Elijah's God anymore, is he? He's her God because of what she saw. And there's, here's a principle. This is what I believe that God wants you to know right now in your life, just like he wants me to know, that when God is first, we have enough. When God is first in your life, you, I, will, will have enough. And the reason is, is when the ultimate true God of the universe, not only do we call him God, not only do we call him Savior, not only do we call him healer and friend and so many other names, but we get to call him Father. Maybe the greatest term we could ever call God because of what that term means. And whether or not you had a good relationship with your earthly father or a bad relationship with your father, his is the perfect example of what it means to be a father. And he being your ultimate good, good father is a perfect father to you. And because of that, he wants to give you and help you through this life in the greatest way possible. I mean, I have two girls, and you know, every year their favorite meal changes. But I love to make them their favorite meal. Now, do I give it to them all the time? No. Chocolate chips and pancakes are not good 24-7. They got to eat some vegetables, right? They got to eat what's good for them. They don't like it, but it's good for them because I try to be a good father. I also don't give them everything they want. I mean, literally, one of my children, they, they need to, like, I always tell them they need to sell insurance. They try to upsell me all day long, every single day. Hey, uh, we have these two choices, but is there, a, you know, like a third option? No, there's two choices here. That's how she's wired. And, 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 and I would be a bad father if I always gave her what she wanted because I would be raising a brat if that was the case. God in his mercy, his sovereignty, and because he's such a good father, he wants you to understand and, and walk in his blessing. But if you don't choose to walk in that, then you will settle for greed and letting it motivate your life. And, and like I said earlier, it's a terrible motivator. And what God would do is he said, I want to bless you. I not only want to provide for you spiritually through my son, I'm going to sacrifice, sacrificially give to you. I'm going to provide for you just enough as, as well. And what God, I believe, wants you to know in this moment is that because he sacrificially gave, he's going to ask you to trust him enough to actually take some of the things that are already his and give back to him. How much, you should say? Well, what should I give back, Ray? I don't know you, but I'm kind of curious. What, what are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking you are to give sacrificially, just like he gave sacrificially, so that you always keep your priorities straight. Now, what does that look like? Well, throughout the ages, it's been called the tithe. How many of you, show of hands, know, have heard that word before, tithe? How many of you have, right? And it's been typically around that 10% mark. It's kind of a mark of faith in our life. When God is first, we have enough. But then I want to tack on a second part to that. When we have enough, because he is enough. We have enough because he is enough. Let me share with you what that means for my life. So I pastored a church in um, the suburbs of Chicagoland. This was like 
I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago. And the church was rapidly growing, and we were running out of space. It was a facility a lot like this. It was smaller, though, and we went from 300 to 900 in two years. It was crazy. And there was only two of us full-time staff members, and um, I remember we got to the point where we were like, we need more room. We can't do six services in one Sunday. I was already doing four. And so we thought, we've got to expand. And so we laid out this big vision. We're going to buy this land, and we're going to build, and it's going to be $10 million, and Well, it came time to launch the vision, and I was nervous. I'd never raised any money in my life like this, but I thought, okay, the one thing I know is if, you know, speed of the leader, speed of the team, I got to go first. So I call Sarah up. This is like four days as my wife. I called her up four days before I'm getting ready to launch the vision. I'm like, sweetheart, we need to make sure that we go first, and I want to share what we're going to give on stage so that people know I'm all in too. She's like, all right, what do you think? And I said, 20% of her income. She goes, What? I said 20% of our income. And I wasn't making, I was making south of $60,000 in Chicagoland, which is like $2 here, okay? And um, it cost $10 just to drive across Chicago because of tolls. But anyways, I was making basically not very much money at the time, and I had a family, and all of these things. And I tell my wife, we're going to give 20% gross income of our money away. And she goes, the math doesn't work out. And I was like, I know, but I think we need to do it. She prays about it. She goes, okay, let's do it. And we start giving that amount. And God miraculously brought all that money in. It was unbelievable. But in the process, here's what I got, saw God do. He was enough for us. Bags of designer clothes would show up at our door. We didn't know where they came from. Food. People would take us to these restaurants. I, I was like, really? I get to eat here? It was crazy. God's provision, he was enough. But all the while I was doing all this, I was driving this Honda Civic. It was like 20 years old. It was supposed to be baby blue, but it was every other color at that point. Every door was dented. I kid you not, I'm not exaggerating. And the turn signal was broken, the little lever. And so I had it propped up with a Chipotle napkin in there. So this is the vehicle that I drove around with all the time. And it was fine. At least I said that out loud. (laughs) So one day I was getting ready to go preach in another church, and I had a really good friend of mine. I said, hey, would you come with me, and would you just, like, kind of pray for me as I preach? I'd really appreciate it. He's like, sure. So he pulls right up next to me at the church parking lot early in the morning, right next to me, and he pulls up in his $100,000 car next to my Honda Civic. And, you know, he came in, and we had a good time, and he prayed for me. I was thankful we went out to lunch afterwards and whatever. Two weeks later, he says, hey, I want you and your wife to come over tonight. So we come over to his house, and he sits down, and he says, I pulled up next to your car, and God spoke to me, and God said to me that I'm supposed to take you to this dealership tonight, and you're going to buy a brand new car, and it's gonna, I'm going to write the check. So when you see the red Ferrari outside, that's, <laughs> no, no. It was a Honda, okay? We bawled. I couldn't believe it. But let me tell you something. I went back, and I did the math. All the extra money we gave, right? I thought, does it compute to a new car? And it didn't. And I'm not saying, hear me, I'm not saying that when you give, God gives you new cars. That's not what I'm saying here, okay? Please don't walk away and be like, preacher told me that if I give, then I'm going to get a new red Ferrari. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, is that when you don't let greed drive your heart, but you let the God of the universe who will give you enough drive you to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do with this, I'll do with it. He will always provide for you. That is exactly what I believe God is trying to tell us. We have enough because he is enough. 
Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says it like this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. See, God says, put them to the test. He says, I'll give you enough because I am enough. You'll be asking, well, okay, I may put God to the test, Ray, but what's the church going to do with my money? Well, first of all, it's not your money. It's not my money. It's God's money. He just kind of lets you borrow it and live on it. Second of all, what's the church going to do with it? Well, I love LifePoint. I love the fact that LifePoint gives to places like Cuba and India and Argentina and Uganda for church planning and uh, restoration and so many other things. But I also love what, he do, what LifePoint does right here in central Ohio. The fact that there's a hundred and, what is it? I, I wrote it down, 150,000 hot meals each year provided by one of the partners of LifePoint. That, that they were combating sex trafficking. I love that there's church planning happening all over the state of Ohio because of this church. That this, this literal church has been revitalized because of the heartbeat of generosity of people that have come way before even some of you have even been here. I love this heartbeat of this church, and it's beautiful. But I love the vision of what's to come as well. You know, Dean was sharing with me over a year and some months ago on the phone. I'll never forget. He said, you know, Ray, there's all of these rural churches that are closing down. What are we going to do about it? I said, I know. Because that's like ground zero of the fentanyl and and, and opioid crisis. The New York Times even talks about it. And all these little churches that have been around forever are closing down and leaders aren't there to shepherd and, and, and love the people of those communities. And, and Dean goes, you know, you know, Ray, we need to do something about it. I was like, I know, we do. And I love the fact that very soon in 23 and 24 and 2025 that this church is starting what is going to be called an incredible platform called LifePoint Online, which is going to basically resource, help replant, and basically revitalize rural churches all over the state of Ohio. Isn't that awesome? That's what the dollars and cents of this ministry go toward. And that's why, even though my wife and I live in Lexington, Kentucky, we give here. We write a check every month to to LifePoint because we believe in this church so, so very much. And some of you, like, you've been faithful, you've been tithing. And I'm not saying, like, you need to give more. I'm just saying, do the math. I'm just saying, open your hands up and ask God, God, what do you want us to give? Like, just live appropriately, save wisely, and give generously. Because when you do, that's when John chapter 10, verse 10 just comes to life, like life and life to the full. That's when you get to experience the abundant life that God wants to give. That's when you actually know, I I do have enough because he is enough in my life. And the fact of the matter is that he meets all of our needs according to his, not yours, not mine, but according to his mercies in Christ Jesus. So my prayer is that you and I, we would live appropriately, we would save wisely, and we would give generously. So Jesus, he, he makes a point here, and then in verse 20, he kind of steers away from the generosity piece, and he kind of, kind of gets heavy again. He gets serious again. And I want you to look at it with me, and I'm warning you, it it kind of brings you to the point of really that we all have a point of end to our life. In verse 20, it says, but God said to him, he's speaking of the, 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 the fool, the, the, the guy that was trying to build all the barns. Fool, this night your soul is required of you. 
and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. It's, ev- it's as if Jesus is like, listen, your life is going to go like that. And because it goes like that, hey, just make sure, just make sure that your soul is prepared, that you're ready, because you just don't know when your time has come. It's, it's heavy, but it's real. Reminds me of um, a really funny joke that I always love. And it's you know, a story of these, you know, three people that are staying to get into heaven and St. Peter's there, you know, and St. Peter, the first person comes up and says name and the person gives a name and he goes, uh, denomination. And the person's like, uh, Methodist. He's like, all right, Methodists are meeting in room 10. Uh, John Wesley will be there. You'll love that. And, but just be very quiet when you pass room eight. So the guy's like, okay, kind of leaves. And the woman steps up and St. Peter says name, and she gives her name, and he's denomination. She says Presbyterian. He goes, oh, good. Presbyterians are in room 16. There's good wine there because you guys have fine taste, and also you have good hymnals there, all right? So she goes, okay, and, she's, and he says, just remember, be very quiet as you pass room 8. So walks through, passes room 8 really quiet. Finally, the last guy walks up, um, name, guy gives his name. Uh, denomination, guy says Pentecostal. He goes, oh, you're in the party room, all right? Loud music, lots of fun, laughter. You're in room 25, but as you pass room eight, don't say anything, be quiet. The guy starts to walk away, and then he comes comes back and he asks, hey, St. Pete. He goes, Peter goes, yeah. The guy goes, why do we have to be so quiet passing room eight? And St. Peter says, well, that's where the Baptists are, and they think they're the only ones here. But when it comes to like the eternal aspect of our life, when our, when our time is done, it, it does bring a serious matter, and that is that we must recount how we're spending our moments, right, our days. And it brings these two ministry experiences into my mind and my heart. One was sitting next to a woman who's dying who is worth $5 billion. My wife and I sitting there with her. She's dying and she's regretful about her entire life because none of her family is even there. She doesn't even know how she's going to spend the money, okay? It's in probate right now because it was such a horrible situation. And she has full of regret and shame, and she really did want to die. And then on the, other, on the other side, I do a funeral for a man who's in his 40s who just, just kind of just had a heart attack and... and, and in a sad way, died, but in a beautiful way, this incredible celebration with his kids there and his wife there and his family there and his friends there celebrating an amazing life, story lived, a well-lived life. And I'll never forget the funeral director coming up and like shutting the casket, and before he did, everyone else was gone, the family came up and got to like say goodbye to him. And I watched it happen, and I thought, now that is beautiful. Because there was sadness, but there was also this celebration because of the life he had lived in, the life that he had in Jesus Christ. And I thought to myself, that's exactly what Jesus was talking about here when he says, you know what, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And I thought, I don't want to be that person. And that's why I think that, you know, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I think that's exactly what he was talking about. I don't think in that moment when I watched that family say goodbye to him, I don't think anything mattered. The, 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 the levels of house that they had, the, the car that they drove, the clothes that they owned, the bank account they had, nor the paycheck, right? None of that mattered in the moment. 
the only thing that mattered was what they had done for Christ. Because in a hundred years, when all of you and I are gone, right, Jesus will be the only thing that still is around. So the question I have to ask is, where are you with him? With God. If today in this moment your soul would be taken, would would you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? Because God is calling us all to, for him to be enough in our life. And if you don't know, come see Pastor Corey. Come go to the Next Steps booth back there. Come, come down and talk to me. Whatever it is after the service. But my prayer is that you and I would not only know our Savior, know our God who came to earth to sacrificially die for all of our sins, to make the way for forgiveness, but we would understand God's kingdom in a whole new light and we'd give towards things that truly matter. Amen? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you entrust us with your word that speaks so clearly, that challenges us in such wonderful ways to take our white-knuckled grip off of our resources and off of our life and to trust you. Thank you, Lord, that you give us the opportunity every single day to step into the John 10.10 full cup, full jar life to live abundantly, to live differently, and to truly know what it means to have peace. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit and what you're doing right now with all of these incredible folks. And Lord, as we just reflect upon all the things that you do in our life and all you will do, Lord, I want to say, Lord, that you would begin to that you would begin to stir in the hearts and minds of your people towards more trust and really living for what matters. In your precious and wonderful name, we pray all these things, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.